You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 44 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Pimp Cron, and we have a podcast ready for you. I thought you'd be excited to hear about it, but I mean, you know, you don't have to go crazy about it. Um, I have lots of things to talk to you tonight about, and this is, well, we have a well, want that or want that not with contrast paints, me and just James. We have a Tesseract mailbox where I am taken to task over things that I got wrong about the Drakari episode. <laughs> and uh, very politely, mind you. And we also have a real talk, talk talking target priority in your strategy. And Just James and I uh, discuss that. Now, it's surprisingly kind of a hard topic to talk about and, and fully explain. You don't want to treat people like they're idiots, but on the other hand, it's like you got to cover the basics too. Um, but we have fun talking about that. And you'll notice that this episode is um, right around the 40-minute mark, something like that. Like I said, this is my busiest time of year for my real job. And um, I just simply do not have as much time. And instead of taking some sort of hiatus and coming back you know, a month later or whatever, um, it's just I would rather just cut it back to about 40, 45 minutes the way I used to. And um, uh, before it slowly crept into 50, an hour, hour and 10 and uh, that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, we do not have a, um, well, here's an idea. And we also don't have a Get Brutal with the Pimp Cron this, this episode. But they will be coming back in future episodes, so don't worry about it. We're just going to be alternating through everything, cycling through the different segments. And um, also, you know, something that's interesting for you, all of you aspiring podcasters out there. What I've learned is that, you know, most podcasts have a, um, like, one topic, and they only talk about that one topic. Well, they put that in the title of the podcast, obviously. Well, you know, my telemetry on the podcast and how people listen and all of that has shown me that people, like, we have all these different topics for different segments, and I thought that would be really cool to have, like, a variety show type of thing, but apparently people just read the title and, of course, that's the real talk portion. And if they don't like that title, they're not going to tune in for the smaller segments. And some of the smaller segments have been dynamite, even if you did not like the, you know, the real talk or whatever. So um, it's just very interesting. So we're going to try and streamline things a little bit and be a little more focused on the main topic. Because that's what people are presumably tuning in for anyway. And um, anyway, so I just wanted to mention all that. What have I done in my hobby time? I busted out my Tomb Kings this week, and I played Tomb Kings, and I won, I think it was 10 to 8, I think it was at the end, against Night Haunt, and they're always fun. Tomb Kings, I mean, I'm not a tournament player, but Tomb Kings are pretty decent. I really enjoy playing them, and um, I probably have like a 1,500 to 2,000 point army, and uh, they, um, they're pretty awesome. Here's fingers crossed hoping that they uh, they continue, or no, they restart Tomb Kings and make them something else or, or whatever and bring them back because they were super cool. And uh, what else have I done? I have written more on the novel, of course. I uh, don't know what percentage I was last episode, but I am 
like I think 22%, which I think I was 19 last time or 18, something like that. And um, that does not sound like much. I get that. And by the way, I'm speaking of the Brutality Skirmish War Game novel, which um, I haven't fully decided on a title yet. I think I have a title, but I'm not going to reveal that. And um, the novel should be coming out at the end of the year or whatever, but I'm about a quarter of the way through. And you realize that I've been working on this for a month and a week. So I'm really, really working hard on this on this um uh this novel and I'm super super enjoying it. So um the uh that is about it. I painted a Corgrath this week while I was editing the podcast, and I painted a uh corn lord on juggernaut that I I have, and I've never had a corn lord on a juggernaut before, so that's painted now. And that is all the painting I've done in literally, like, the last month. I've been so busy, like I said before, come home, blog, podcast, yada, yada, and work on the novel. So, but I have to admit that I have really, really found something that I truly enjoy in writing this novel and um, getting, you know, feedback and things like that. And um, I can't possibly forget that this episode is brought to you by a Patreon patron, Nate. And uh, there's a lot of things to say about Nate. Nate is a great guy. He's a um, he's an Elvis impersonator on the boardwalk, which is pretty cool. And um, he's independently wealthy by um, finding potato chips and Cheetos and things like that that look like various religious figures and selling those on eBay for lots of money. He is the world's only pink belt in Taekwondo. He was so special they made a belt just for him. And the final nugget of information that I have about our Patreon patron, Nate, is that he is a professional puppeteer. He worked on Sesame Street for seven seasons, and uh, he actually voiced Elmo during these times. Now, of course, everything I just said is 100% fabricated, and I'm, I do know that Nate is a really awesome guy. He comes to Shorehammer. I know him personally. He's awesome. Uh... As always, if you'd like to contact us, it's pimpcron at gmail.com, and it's facebook.com slash pimpcron, and you can always call the hotline, which we love when you do. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. You see, what we got here is a Tesseract mailbox. I'm the pimpcron, and today I am, I got this big old, this big old bowl of humble pie and I'm eating it because a listener Maverick uh if that is your real name Maverick um and if it is then that's kind of a baller real name I kind of like it but um Maverick messages us and on uh, facebook.com slash and says hello there purple hatted metal man thanks for putting so much energy and time into making something for the rest of us to enjoy. However, I noticed that some of your Tomb World's historical records seem to have been damaged during your long sleep. I just finished listening to episode 42, which was our history of the Drukari product line, and now have chosen to inflict upon you a few pedantic corrections regarding my beloved Drukari in no particular order. Well, guess what? I... Oh, I accept that I'm wrong. Okay, I get it. I'm wrong. So let's see exactly how wrong I am. First of all, he says that Cruella the Vile does in fact have a model. He's not sure if I was joking or not. Um, and honestly, I was not joking. I actually looked her up online and could not find a 
uh, model made for her. Um, it's possible that I misspelled it because it's spelled in a ridiculous manner. But just so you know, Cruella does have a model. And judging by the picture in that third edition codex that I saw of her, she looks awesome. So I'll probably want to pick her up uh, along with the old Archon model. Uh, what else does he say? He also says that Dracons weren't or aren't female counterparts to Archons with identical stat lines. They're basically an Archon's second in command. In the third edition codex, they have their own stat block, and they are basically weaker Archons. They're the captain to the Archon's chapter master. Ah, that makes more sense. Um, once again, you know, my caveat to all this is I did not play prior to... Uh, I think I started Dark Eldar in 6th edition. And um, I didn't play prior to that, so I'm not really privy to all this, but every single one of the models I saw for a Dracon was a female, and every one that I saw was an Archon was a male, and they were always Dracon slash Archon every single time I saw them listed. So I just kind of made an assumption, and that assumption, my friend, was wrong. Um, Dracons and their witch cult counterparts, Sirens, technically still exist in 40k, they're the squad leaders for the Trueborn and Blood, Bri Blood Brides, respectively. Well, joke's on you, Maverick, they don't actually still exist because the indexes are a sham. And they still exist in the index, but guess what? No one plays with the index, except for, I don't know, maybe me and all the other people that play with the index. Shut up, Maverick. Uh, I'm just kidding, I'm not mad. Thank you for writing in, Maverick. Shouldn't be too mean to him. Uh, <laughs> the Webway Portal didn't really have a model exactly. There was a tutorial on how to scratch one on the GW website, but most people just plopped down a large blast marker. It was basically a piece of war gear that you could deploy instead of shooting, sort of like towel, breacher, trash can drones. Um, now, you know, the Webway Portal I used to use was a flying stand, not flyer, but the clear flying stand, and uh, I had put... To, so now I see people using large blast markers. Well, shit, I should have done that. I, I was I was using the uh, large, clear, round bases, and I put two <sighs> spiky platforms, I guess you'd call it, from the old Raiders to make kind of an arch. It was pretty cool looking. I have it somewhere, but I haven't used it since. Obviously, webway portals are not really a thing you put down anymore. Maverick also says, to clarify... Dark Eldar got a 3rd, 5th, 7th, and 8th edition release. The 3rd edition rules didn't have power from pain, but did have rules for capturing enemy models as prisoners as part of a sweeping advance. The 5th edition codex introduced power from pain. At that time, you basically accumulated counters by killing enemies. The more counters a given unit possesses, the stronger it became. Then 7th edition came, gave us the more or less modern incarnation of Power from Pain, where you charge up your pain batteries every turn. Um, I'm a big fan of that. I do recall playing when, uh, well, I either played against people or with people. But anyway, I remember that whole mechanism of having to kill entire units and every pain token you got for killing a unit, uh, that unit that killed that unit, that unit got that unit a pain token. I'm, I'm just messing this up. It might be worth mentioning that Dark Eldar HQs could take bikes once upon a time. Boy, howdy, Maverick. Everybody could take bikes at one time. My orc is in the corner crying. Uh, my Necron's crying because he never had a bike, but that's probably a bad example. There were no official GW models for it, much like Warlocks didn't have bikes until recently, but there were rules for it. 
Unfortunately, that option went the way of the Dodo in the 5th edition Codex. So basically, we've been getting the no models, no rules treatment since before it was cool, and we're still really salty about it. Thanks again for your hard work and for letting me, um, actually at you. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Well, I do appreciate Maverick uh, seeing the error of my ways and chiming in and going, well, actually, um... No, no, it's it's actually great because um th this ended up being exactly what I was afraid it was going to be. You know, when researching all this stuff, um, it is very hard to find any actual information on the way models used to be or the way the units used to be or any of that. You know, if you go, if you want to go find out about, let's just say, George Washington, there is a plethora of different places that you can find information on George Washington, where he lived, what he did, blah, 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 right? But... It's because people have already done, like, some serious, like, boots-on-the-ground investigatory journalism asking people, you know, that that knew him or whatever. And, uh, unfortunately for Games Workshop products, you know, just like anything, it's, it's not a big enough thing for anybody to have, like, actively uh, investigated it. So all of my things that I had at my disposal were things like Bell of Lost Souls retro articles and... Uh, Wikipedia and the Lexicanum and their codex and all that. So I was certain when I was doing it that I was probably going to miss something. And unfortunately, I couldn't have just James on the program uh, that week. But also, he didn't play back then either. I think he started in 5th or 6th edition uh, with his Dark Eldar. So once again, if you would like to reach out to me um, and I can make fun of you on the air... <laughs> it's pimpcron at gmail.com and it's facebook.com slash pimpcron and you can always call the hotline which would be awesome all right that's it thanks again for calling in matt uh writing in maverick i appreciate it later want that or want that not on this edition of want that or want that not we're gonna be talking about those contrast paints how you doing mr james I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Fine. That's, that's, you just gonna whisper this whole time? Yeah, or? I'm gonna whisper real low. Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear. Hey, you guys should turn up your volume! <laughs> God. And now the ears are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> so, all the hubbub online is all oh, the contrast paints, the contrast paints, right? Some people love it, some people hate it. What is your personal opinion on the contrast paints? I have no opinion. Ha ha! Oh. No. Oh. Uh, well, I, I've only. I haven't really looked at it. I haven't done too much research in it. I haven't... Uh, well, our store doesn't have them. Uh, I don't think you can buy them yet. Or soon. It's very soon. One or the other. Yeah, cause, yeah I've seen like videos like Mini Wargaming or whatever. They had videos of them using it. But I haven't actually watched those. So oh, I yeah. don't know how it how it's doing. So I just watched a, um, a video on, the, um, on Bell of Lost Souls about them trying it. And um, they tried three different colors. I didn't care for one of them. But I was actually shocked that the white comes off pretty good. It's called um, Apothecary White or something like that. But it's a light gray bottle. And when it all bleeds into the recesses and everything, it looks pretty good. I mean, it still comes a little bit off as like a light gray. Uh -huh. But if you look at most people that paint Apothecaries in white armor, it's mostly just white gray, light gray anyway. It's not really white like you think. Yeah. Um, now, maybe you could um, you could still dry brush it real lightly with some white. You know, to brighten it a little bit. But, um, 
Yeah, I'm pretty. It seems like you probably have to go back over it with something. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, honestly, I've seen some people paint Space Marines, and Space Marines look pretty darn good. For you know, they've they've got pictures of um like Ultramarines and whatnot, and it's one coat, and the Ultramarine looks pretty darn good. I've seen pictures of the a regular painted, highlighted, edged model, and then just one coat, and it's it's almost it's like three quarters as good as all those steps now so what that means now is that you got to go back on your one thing you don't like to do and that's uh base no what's the word prime your models in white no yeah i guess i'm gonna have to do that (laughs) (laughs) man i don't know though you're right because when I think about it, I love priming black because you get those real crisp black recesses, you know, and it's like, um, especially with my bad vision, I like things to be really contrasted, almost like a cartoon. Yeah. I like to outline everything in like a black line. So it's yeah, you do have like a cartoony style to your painting. Yep. And um, I uh, you do actually bring up a good point that sure. OK, it's going to work for most of your model and everything. You know, for, oh, here's all the recesses and whatnot. But, man, I don't know. Um, Like, okay, so you're going to do the whole Space Marine in one color. Okay. But now what about the leather straps? What about the gun? What about all this other stuff? You're going to have to... I mean, all the pictures I've seen, for whatever reason, people slather the whole thing one color, which is kind of dumb. But I'm thinking... what? Well, they probably, yeah, pick out colors afterwards. Yeah, but I'm thinking like the bolt gun. Bolt gun has nothing to do with the blue on that ultramarine. So yeah. why are you even coloring it? Like I don't. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And then I'm thinking, you know, I I rely heavily on dry brushes and washes, and that's how I get my black outlines for everything. And then I'm like, okay, well, if I'm priming the space marine white and getting most of it done with the contrast paint, then I'm gonna have to leave the bolt gun white. Which, of course, I either, in order to get the dark in the recesses, I either need to paint silver over the white and then wash it with Nolan oil, or I need to go back and reprime just the gun with black and then dry brush bolt gun metal on. It seems like it's almost an, it's an extra step. Yeah, or you just not, don't put the bolt gun on I do not do that. <laughs> I do not do that. I don't do that either, but... Yeah, I guess you could. But you know how hard it is already to glue two arms? Yes. And <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, I think they're also going to be 7-ish, 8-ish dollars in the U.S. So, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, also, what's the size of it? They're the big pots, like big the pots. big wash pots. Well, it's supposed to be, what, paint and a wash t- yeah. mixed together. So, I guess it's not too bad. I mean, it's still kind of, especially if you're buying several colors of it. Yeah, if you're buying the whole range, dude, I saw a picture. It's like 25 colors they have for it. Like it's, a, it's a lot. But, um, if nothing else, do it for your flesh colors. Do yeah. it for, you know. Yes. Um, or like fur. Good God, do it for fur. Like, um, or yeah, that and like Space Marines, where it's all mostly one color. Yeah. Um, 
then um uh like our one friend josh is starting his bray herd and whatnot and he is literally waiting for this to come out so he can just prime them white and wash them brown like that's <laughs> that's all you got to do because it's true i used to when i first started i was trying to be lazy and i would use i would prime white and then i would wash a color over it and it was always actually you have that old weird boy i painted like that no oh. And you'll see that he's like, he's like washed out like watercolor. He's not like, he doesn't have good pigment. Yeah, I did that with my Vespids. Uh, I oh. primed the white and then I took blue. They don't look too bad. But they're still, it's still not the same as painting them blue yeah. and washing them. They get like a watery, it sounds stupid, but uh, like a watery, marbly texture to them. Yeah. So are you a want that or want that not for these? I think I will be a want that. I think I'm definitely a want that. I'm not going to go out and like buy all the colors or anything right away. No, I'll get that over time. The same here. But um, uh, I actually, I'll go out of my way to buy the big wash pots. And I'm pretty sure they're about the same uh, price as the contrast paints. You know, there might be a dollar more or something for the contrast, but it's not much. Yeah. And um, yeah, in the, in the big wash pots, like $6 or something. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, uh, I am very looking forward to it. I think the things that I'll probably get first would be like flesh color. Yes. And um, just doing once on the face and hands, dude, that's that's amazing. Yep. I wonder, I didn't see if they actually have a silver one. Although, I don't know. I like my weapons to be that black, then dry brushed over for the real stark outlines and whatever. Uh-huh. And this just doesn't do it. Like, it just doesn't do stark outlines. It does really good shading on things, but not not the way I'm used to doing things. So, huh. but I am interested to see how it might change my celestial lions. Um, you know, the silver and then I wash it with the um uh uh seraphin sepia. Uh-huh. Well, um if they've got a brown that's thick enough, then that that might be my new one because I have to wash it twice with seraphin sepia to get that tint that I want. Yeah. So I'm curious if this darker brown, and it's probably gonna be too thick. I probably, bet. Probably. But it ain't gonna be what you want. <laughs> uh, also, I heard online that people are gonna be getting rid of glazes. Uh, GW is gonna be discontinuing its glazes now that the contrasts are out, which is kind of shitty. I've I had that blood blood letter glaze, and I've never really used it. I don't know what it does. Uh, well, I guess put a glaze on it. On a blood letter, maybe. <laughs> anyway well that is want that and want that for the just james and the pimp crown thanks for being on buddy now it's time for real talk with pimp crown hello everybody today i the pimp crown am joined by my dear friend what's your name sir james just james just justice james and we were wanting to talk about some tactics, which is something we don't usually cover on this podcast, as I'm sure you already know. Um, and James was just lamenting that he did not want to talk about <laughs> tactics. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so, uh, specifically today, though, we wanted to talk about target priority, because that is something that a lot of people have issues with. Haven't you seen players struggle with target priority? Yeah, especially when I play against you. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and, uh, you know, so what is target priority? Obviously you're deciding what target has the most priority. 
you weren't going to do that joke, I was going to do it. <laughs> so, uh, but honestly, what the first step in that is you basically have to know your army versus your opponent's army and how they stack up, right? Yeah, you got to buy all the books and read every single one. Every single freaking page you need to read. Um, you need to be up on all of the, um, like, 1D4chan. You got to be up on the, the wiki. Yep. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. W- Wicked Witch? Yes. And um, the wiki wiki, like the, uh, what's that from? It was like in the 90s, you know? I yeah. mean, I know it's like a record scratch, but somebody or some show is known for like wiki wiki. I don't know. Uh, well, anyway uh so um i mean honestly you you actually could we make fun of going online and and reading about armies but you actually could do that like you know a good 1d4 chan believe it or not actually has some pretty good summaries of not how to use an army necessarily but um just what each unit's gimmick is like oh you know tell fire warriors oh blah 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 they shoot a lot whatever um hmm and um, I actually have used that before when, um, you know, trying to, if I'm thinking about an army let, that I want to start playing, I'll go on somewhere like that and go, okay, well, what is it? What is this army about exactly? You know, how does it work? What units are good at what? You know, that sort of thing to get a feel for. Is this really going to match my play style or not? Um, occasionally, if I run into an opponent that just beats the crap out of me every time we play, I'll go on somewhere like that and see, okay, what I can, without actually buying the codex and having to sort through all the rules, it gives you a pretty good synopsis of exactly this unit does this, blah, blah, blah. And you can go, oh, okay, well, next time I face that, if he brings this, I know, you know, how to deal with it. But um, how do you actually go about knowing your strengths and weaknesses versus your opponent's strengths and weaknesses? I mean, how do you, how do you really do that besides experience? Clearly not everyone has experience. Uh gotta i guess keep playing oh that that would be experience <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah i mean you can't just know things right off the bat <laughs> um one thing would be is to ask a lot of questions i mean if you if you're not used to playing that army playing against that army that you're playing you gotta ask a lot of questions what's the ap what's the damage what's the range what's the i mean that gets a little tedious and you could irritate some people uh, but because I get irritated when my opponent just nonstop tells me, oh, yeah. this does that, this does this, and this does that, and this, I'm like, okay, just calm down. Yes. Yeah. Just tell me when you shoot me. <laughs> uh, so, like, the, the thing we were talking off the air about was, like, um, you know, for instance, a really bad matchup would be, you know, three or four, uh, Imperial Guard Punisher tanks versus, you know, a horde of orcs. Because that's how you kill orcs, is mass fire, and you don't need the AP. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know? I mean, same thing goes for bolters and all that, but it's hard to get, you know, the the Punisher cannon has such a range, and it has so many shots, they can shoot twice, and good God, like, that is, like, that's every Imperial Guard player's dream. Yeah, that's true. So, that kind of brings me to the point of, what is target priority in the way of, okay, you're playing orcs, and he's playing Punisher cannons, you know, um, if you aren't focusing all of your army on those Punisher tanks in every way possible, which might even mean um, moving and advancing towards them to close the gap, then you're kind of not doing it right. <laughs> and just James just looks at me. Um, I wasn't listening. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, you got to get something up in there to tie them up. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it would be actually pretty helpful if you had, like, chaff units. You know what I mean? Like, if you're playing, if we're keeping up with our orc example, Grotz. You know, Grotz are pretty shitty. They've got a bad save and all that. But, dude, they're in mass, and you physically just can't kill that many Grotz. And if you ignore that many Grotz, let's say you take a full squad of, I think it's 30 or whatever they come into. It might be 40. I don't know. But um, I like taking Grotz personally because... Not me. Well... Um, because they are chaff units and everyone over- overlooks them. And then when they do that, they do that to their own detriment because I can move those grots up to their shooting units or their vehicles or whatever and just tie crap up. And then they're forced to deal with these little piddly, you know, it's like dealing with change versus dollars. You're like, ah, oh, who cares about the change? That's little and who cares? You know, I once said you keep gathering change. You got a lot of money. You know, that is great for this metaphor, because yes, because a lot of something weak actually helps. So a lot of times I've seen people um, not take out whole units. Have you seen this? Yes. And what do they normally do instead? Shoot at something else. Shoot at many other things. They split up their shots at at, uh, different targets so that therefore they... uh don't wipe out the unit and that unit still exists for them to shoot back at. Yeah. Which is, which is stupid, right? Because if you're, I mean, okay. So I shoot at this tack Marine squad. I shoot at this tank. I shoot at this other tack Marine squad. I shoot little bit here, little bit there. Okay. At the end of the day, at the end of my shooting phase, I killed what four Marines and did a couple wounds off a tank. Like it, yeah, it's not helpful. And what did you do? Like you didn't do anything. Um, so whenever possible, I would say that you should focus and try to actually remove a unit or ruin it so bad, you know, take it down to a couple wounds, and then you're essentially, you know, you've taken it out of the game, essentially. Yep. Have you ever just ignored a tank? Like, once once you get it down to, like, ballistic skill six or whatever, you just yeah. walk away. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? You're over there. You're puttering. You're sputtering. You're spittering. You're spattering. Yes, you're Dr. Susserine. Yes. <laughs> and you move on to something else. Which is target priority. So you really need to know exactly what your army does and what their army does and what your strength and weakness is. Like, you know, Punisher cannons, a weight of fire in this game will always be a good thing, obviously. If you can shoot 100 shots, shoot 100 shots. Yes. But things like, you know... A hundred shots, okay, so four Punisher cannons will not do as much to a Space Marine as it is going to do to orcs, obviously, because orcs don't have the save. Correct. So, <laughs> you're just my hype man on this. Mm-hmm. Yo, um, what this guy says is true! Yep. Uh, have you ever ran away from a unit? Uh, no. We never run. <laughs> These colors don't run. <laughs> uh, no, so, yeah, sometimes you, you got to do that. Like, name me a, a unit that you'll just flat out ignore. Uh, let's say uh, Grey Knights Paladins, you know? We have someone in our group that just loves to drop them down. Yep, he'll deep strike them, and then, pew, we're gone. We're out of there. Yep. Whatever direction they are to you, you go the opposite. Because <laughs> yeah. they move five or six inches? Uh, five, yeah. I think it's five inches, and five. I'm like, Psh, whatever, you can bolter me all you want. Like, yeah. who cares? Because you know they're already nine inches away, and then you, your whatever unit you're taking probably moves more than five inches, and then if you run or charge or even like they'll never catch you. 
Correct. And he used to get so mad, too. Like, he just, he would, because he's like, oh, you're just going to run away? Yes, I am going to just run away. Yeah. <laughs> you want to you wanna do the deep strike game, you got to try and trap me in. True. Um, which, man, there's there's quite a few tactics behind deep striking we could come, get into at some point. Um, so back to that vehicle that we were talking about that was sputtering, spittering, spattering, that you, clattering. The, that you almost killed but didn't. Right. So if you have a vehicle that's been hit like that, what you got to do with that is use use it to tie up a very important unit of theirs, like something that is kind of weak against your vehicle mm-hmm. uh, in close combat, really. Um, and, like, let's say they're Hellblaster Squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully they don't kill you in Overwatch, but if you get in there, you've tied up that unit. Yeah, they've got nothing to deal with that. Yeah. Oh, they, they, they use a crack grenade. BFD. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most vehicles are higher toughness anyway than infantry for obvious reasons. So even if you do have only a couple u- wounds, then you're not going to hit anything on those sixes anyway. Just quit quit trying. It's better to tie something up. Yeah. So that's another great idea, because even if you can't kill a unit, then just tie it up. Especially with things like Lehman Russes. I love the type of Lehman Russ because they can't back up and shoot for anything. Not not normally. I don't. There might be a strategy. There is not a stratagem. I keep thinking there is a stratagem. Maybe there's a psychic power. Mm, I don't know, but um, I keep thinking there's a stratagem. Like ever since this new codex came out, I haven't played my guards since the new codex came out, and um, every time I play a guard player, I'm like, oh well, don't you have a stratagem? Just back up and shoot, and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> And then that came off like I was rubbing it in their face, but really I, I thought they did. Um, now, obviously, well, I mean, after that, when you start pointing and laughing at them, that's <laughs> that's the rude thing. Spitting on their models. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, like we said, even if you can't kill the unit, at least tie it up. Um, now, of course, what about the units that you have that is their priority? You've got to think about now. Of course. This is a dangerous game, and I don't usually do it, because it's very hard to anticipate what the other person is going to value in their target priority against you. So, obviously, characters can't be shot, blah, 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 you know, for the most part. So, you don't have to worry as much about that unless they have assassins or sniper rifles. But, um, you know, how exactly, if you have a buffing unit like an HQ or something like that, or even if you have like a sleeper unit. You know, you have this unit that you know has a mission. In your head, you know it has a... I'll just... I'll be really obvious and say tank busters, right? Uh-huh. I got these tank busters. I want. They've got those um, missile hammers and, and all that stuff. I want them to get into combat with a tank. Um, some of the best things to do for that is to try to force your opponent's target priority on other things while you slip that one in. Yeah. You know? Um, so you can also manipulate uh, in certain circumstances. Like if I really want to beat someone, I have been known to be so manipulative as to play up the benefits of a unit that I don't give a shit about <laughs> <laughs> in order you know, to, to get around that. Because remember, the game's not just on the battlefield, James. The game is also in the mind. Oh, okay. Right? Um, so like kind of on the opposite end... I guess on the reverse side uh, of what you're saying is uh, 
like when your opponent is targeting a unit of yours that they're like, oh, I'm going to kill that. I'm going to kill that. <laughs> oh, that's going to be dead. And you're like, okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> you don't really care about that unit. You've got something else planned. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Um, and they almost say it in a way to try to get you to go like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, maybe you should do that. Oh, don't kill that unit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what also is um, I have done this before only when I'm like really trying to win. And, you know, um, there will be like the opponent is at a part where they've got multiple options. Well, I could finish off this unit or I could shoot this unit or I could assault whatever. And, you know, in your head, you have what matters the most to you, to your plan. Yeah. So a lot of times I'm like, oh, well, I guess you're just going to kill that squad, the squad that I don't care about. Uh huh. And I can't I have no empirical evidence as to like how it actually sways people. But I act like I'm upset about it. <laughs> and a lot of times they will do the thing I suggested. Now, maybe they were already planning it. I don't know. I don't I'm not going to say I'm that good of a convincing person. But but a lot of times they're like, yeah, I'll just kill that unit. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, do you feel like that's underhanded? Um, no. I mean, because they make their own decisions. Yeah. Like they're an adult, presumably. Except for when I play at the daycare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that's underhanded. I think that's uh, that's part of strategy, I guess, as well. That's what I say. People people give me grief online because I say there's a whole nother level of strategy beyond the, oh, movement phase, blah, blah, blah. There's that whole strategy. The the I guess this really would be the metagame of you as a player playing against their psychological strengths and weaknesses and what they you know think is going on and a lot of times when i play people their target priority is way off like um i was just playing someone the other day and i cannot i remember it clicking in my head going oh i have no idea why he went after that but i cannot think of exactly what it was that he did (sighs) was it your uh, empire against the death army the night haunt it was either that or the game I just played this week of my um, my uh, Tomb Kings versus the Night Haunt Army. But there was a time when... Um, oh! Oh, I know what it was. It was during the Empire. Um, did you already know... I mean, I told you this instance, but did you remember it? Yeah. Where I ran to his backfield and got yeah. the objective. And he never... He easily could have blocked off my path, right? He had almost wiped me off the table. But uh, we ended up tying in points because um, my HQ spread out away from the rest of the army and went to go grab his objective in his backfield. And I needed, of course, I needed like a three or four or higher in my advance in order to get in range to cap it. But he's so easily between this building and my other unit, he should have just moved in my way. And I never would have been able to... And in his movement phase, I'm like, oh, geez, oh, geez, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. And he never did. And I'm like, yes. And then I, I made the uh, the advance roll far enough that I got. And then that that ended up tying the game where he would have won. So I was I was really happy about that. But um, it's I think it's mostly just an experience thing for the most part. I mean, you can look at battle reports and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that's the same thing as actually playing the game and learning from your mistakes and things like that. Don't you agree? Yeah. 
I was thinking of, I don't know if this falls, I don't know if this falls in what we were talking about, but I was thinking about, you know, Skaven, they have those gnaw holes, and that's like a, another part of the strategies, because your enemy kind of has to guard those holes, because mm-hmm. you can just pop out there, and almost, if there's nobody there, you just capture the point Yeah, close by. And they just come right out of there, right? Like one unit in can the, wait. Yeah, they can. Uh, no, they just move from one null hall to the other. Oh, like a teleport almost. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Well, that's it, kids. Guard your holes. Your <laughs> null holes. <laughs> uh, well, I think we've hit uh, the end of this. Do you have anything else to add on target priority? Uh, no. All right. Thanks for being on, Mr. James. You're not welcome.